I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show... I've sort of joked that the thing that's propelled us is the chip on my shoulder. There's a little bit of a tension every day when I get up, and I have to figure out how are, how are we going to continue to compete? How can I infuse in my team the fact that we have to compete every single day? We can't just rest. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. Welcome to What's Working in Washington. I'm Mark Walsh, the host, and today we have Gina Schaefer. She is the CEO and founder of a chain of hardware stores called A Few Cool Hardware Stores. Great name. They're all over D.C., Baltimore, and the region. It's a real success story. She took over and reclaimed a portion of Logan Circle, which was decimated by the 68 riots, and found out that, gee, lots of places had wooden boards in front and needed nails and needed recovery. So opportunity meets supplier, and she started a hardware store. And she uses uh, Ace Hardware as their cooperative partner. And she is now at 14 stores all over the place, and they're killing it. And she wrote a book called Recovery Hardware. Why? Because many of the folks she's hired are from nearby drug and recovery rehabilitation arenas. And that alone is something to really pay attention to, because guess what? They're great employees. So this is a real stunning and invigorating and motivational story called Recovery Hardware, the book, and a few cool hardware stores. Here's our conversation. Gina, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, so much history in your store, and or the, I should say in the stores, plural, uh, and where you've taken the company. But just give us the quick overview of, I should say, why it started in, Lo- in Logan Circle here in D.C. Uh, in 2001, roughly, I got laid off from the my tech job for the third or fourth time. I don't even remember how many times. I kept getting laid off from these startups, Yeah, and I was tired of it. I'd worked in software for years, and I decided I wanted to go from software to hardware. That was the big joke. The neighborhood needed a hardware store. It had been destroyed by the riots when Martin Luther King was assassinated and sat dormant for decades. So Logan Circle was an affordable place for a young woman my age to buy her first condo, and then just ripe for a hardware store because everybody was taking the boards off their windows. We were renovating these houses. Businesses were coming back in. Um, buildings were being built, and I needed a job. And so I said, why can't I start a hardware store? I mean, why not? Time and opportunity. Yeah. So the rebuilding, you literally saw boards being taken off, boarded up, I mean, the, the whole thing, and you said, why not me? Yeah, you know, I, I definitely don't take any credit for the renovations of the neighborhood, but there were blocks and blocks of houses that were solidly boarded up, and they had been boarded up for decades. And along 14th Street, which is the main corridor through Logan Circle, there were probably five or six businesses that had survived or had sort of started way post-riots, and they they needed customers and vibrancy, and that's what we wanted. And so the Community Association was super active um, in attracting new businesses and attracting homeowners looking for less expensive places to live. And so those of us who would go to those community association meetings would talk about what we wanted. And I kept hearing people say, gosh, I wish we had a hardware store. Mm -hmm. We don't want to go to the suburbs. There aren't enough. And at the time when we opened, there were probably three, maybe four independent hardware stores in Washington, D.C. And there were 700,000 people, I think, in, in that year. So uh, there was definitely an opportunity. Well, you predicted my next question, which is, you know, last time I checked, although this is obviously 20 plus years ago, the large hardware stores or what we think of the large hardware stores, the big box stores, hardware, et cetera, seem to be covering the market. But you're saying both geographically, potentially price-wise, access-wise, whatever, there was that gap, right? 
There was a huge gap. So the year that I opened, which was 2003, a Home Depot had just opened in D.C. the year prior. And so there was a big box hardware store in Washington. It was 18 blocks, technically, from Logan Circle, 18 very long blocks that would take, you know, 35, 40 minutes to drive to, depending on traffic. Uh, Hard to get a cab there. There wasn't public transportation at the time. And so there was a very large gap, particularly for people who wanted to walk and support um, community-based retail. And was part of the offering that you felt was important for a locally owned event was to have service inside and knowledgeable people. How did you play that out? Well, we hired, uh, I mean, we still hire um, as a practice people from the neighborhood. And so when you walk in, you may see a neighbor and you want to be nice to your neighbors. And so, you know, over the years, we've created core values that we live by. And one of them, in fact, is be a good neighbor. If I hire a young person from the community, for example, he or she may have never had a job or may have gaps in their employment. But if I say to them, tell me about a time that you were a good neighbor, people's faces light up. They automatically understand what what they what I might be getting to about providing customer service. Oh, being nice to this customer is like being nice to my neighbor or my grandmother or my elderly aunt. And so we, we've infused some of those values into now, obviously, we need folks who know how to help with electrical products and, and, right. and gardening and all of that comes. Yeah. Yeah. So domain expertise grew as opposed to you bringing it in. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So how how helpful was the city in your efforts? Because there are many stories, as we all know, not just the Logan Circle area of rebuilding and I'm from Baltimore, which is, you know, rich legacy of trying to rebuild chunks of our city. Yeah. Uh, also from the 68 riots, which I remember extraordinarily uh, well, tragically. But the the idea of a city and its economic development help, where, what, what was your relationship with the city and how did that play out? So I, I would say that particularly over the last 20 years, working with the city has gotten infinitely easier. The the Good. offices are the all of the regulations. Everything is so much um so much easier to handle now. And of course, we're, I'm smarter, I think, at this point. Let's go uh, there. You yeah, are. I, I would say that one of the things that we often, and I say we, my husband, he's my official business partner. When we get to the ESOP conversation, you'll see I have 165 business partners. But Got it. Um, Mark and I, over the years, have just asked for the playing field to be level. Yeah. If this organization is getting tax breaks to come into the city, why can't small businesses? And in that regard, those things are not happening. Okay. But the communities have been... So receptive and exciting. The media, for example, especially in the beginning, it was very novel to have new hardware stores open up. My husband is a very behind-the-scenes guy. He actually didn't even join the business until I was open for about three months. And so it was the woman-owned hardware store. He was testing it out to make sure he didn't want to hop in. He wanted to make sure I could pay the rent. He was uh, so gracious about making sure that I could pay the rent. And then he came home one day and he said, you're having a lot of fun. Can I join you? And so we've been business partners ever since. But the media latched onto the fact that this was a woman-owned hardware store in this really up-and-coming or re-coming neighborhood, and we got a lot of great press because of it. Not to drill down, and I don't want to revisit uh, uh, challenging times in the relationship, but were there mayors, frankly, in D.C. who were more understanding of your struggle and your and your focus and your success and, and goals and what it meant to the city? Or was it really below the mayor and more sort of economic development? Or was it sort of all, all of a piece? I think I think that it is... I think that local businesses, and this is changing, and so I don't want to speak negatively of anyone in the city, but I think, I think we've always just sort of been hidden. Yeah, it's the flashy big guys with all of the money and the 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 desire for seventy five thousand square feet and the corporate offices in Bentonville or wherever. Those are the folks that get the attention. It's not people like me who are members of a co op who are sort of eking it out. I I mean, I've I've sort of joked that the thing that's propelled us is the chip on my shoulder. There's a little bit of attention. Every day when I get up and I have to figure out how are, how are we going to continue to compete? How can I infuse in my team 
the fact that we have to compete every single day. We can't just rest. And so that's where I think uh, the the tension has come in a little bit with the city because they want to fill buildings, right? And my little hardware stores aren't filling buildings. The big boxes are filling buildings. Mm -hmm. And so there is... There is that push and pull that that happen every day. Every day. So let's talk about competition. Clearly, I shouldn't say clearly, but my assumption is you probably can't compete on price because of volume purchasing versus you know your lo- local. But you've joined a co-op, and yeah. and and that certainly would probably allow for a wide variety of ways to compete on price and availability and supply and and expertise. Which co-op did you choose, and why did you choose them? So I, we are a member of the Ace Hardware Cooperative. Love uh, Ace. Love Ace. Ace is national, based outside of Chicago and Oak Brook, Illinois. Uh, there are about 5,000 independent Ace Hardware stores nationally. It's probably been the best partnership relationship that any small business could have. They do help us compete with pricing because they go to the vendors and get the deals that right. I could never get as, you know, little Gina Schaefer. Uh, they warehouse the products, and so I don't have to have big massive amounts of square footage, which is very expensive in urban areas. Uh, They create wraparound services that I can take advantage of or not. It's up to me. Things like online training for my employees, conventions and conferences where we can have educational opportunities and meet with new vendors, a whole host of um, services like insurance. And wow. I I mean, there's just a a great lineup. It's fantastic. Yeah. I think every small business should be a part of a co-op in, in some regard, especially if the co-op's as good as Ace. And I'm not blowing smoke. Like, they, yeah. they do what I cannot afford to, what I am not smart enough to do, nor nor what I have any interest in doing. Well, Ace is the place for the health for hardware man, but— Woman! Sorry? Soaks. Excuse me! <laughs> How dare How I dare add— you? Exactly. That was gender confusion. <laughs> I apologize to our listeners and to you, Gina Schaefer, CEO and founder of Recovery Hardware. But, but that being said, if I may ask, did you— Browse amongst the other co-ops. Are there many? And what about Ace? It sounds like Ace had all these features. Were, were other co-ops close to being chosen by you? That's a great question. So in 2000, I guess it was 2002-ish when we were doing our research, there were three large national cooperatives. Most people don't understand how it works. There are no national franchises for hardware stores in the United States. And people people are often pleasantly surprised when they realize that we're a co-op and not part of a franchise. Yeah. So we that's actually, an important distinction. Thank you for that. And we can drill down on that in a second. I, I, I interrupted though. Nope, that's fine. So we reached out to the three large national um, cooperatives. It was Ace, True Value, and Do It Best. And so, um, I actually, we didn't reach out to Do It Best because they're more Midwestern. We didn't think yeah. that that they were going to respond to us. And so, we reached out to Ace and True Value. Ace responded first, mm-hmm. and the relationship uh, unfolded from there. And co-op versus franchise. I mean, we all know franchises, right? I yeah. visited one earlier today. Um, what's the economic difference? So, cooperatives... Um, uh, well, a couple things. The co-op itself, so ACE as the, as the larger entity, uh, does not pay taxes on profits and dividends back to its members. Got it. So as a member of a co-op, any of us get a dividend at the end of the year if ACE is successful. So the more successful we are, the more successful ACE is, the more comes back to Good us. Good alignment. It's a fantastic alignment, yes. Um, franchises pay, and I think they're all the same. I, I can't imagine any that aren't. They pay a royalty to the mothership. Yep. And so for every hamburger that McDonald's sells, they pay 50 cents, whatever, back to McDonald's corporate. Yep. I get the dividend from Ace. I do not pay them royalties. The money flows in the opposite direction. Wow. And so my loyalty to them, my purchases, the more I purchase from them, creates that bigger dividend for my organization. So loyalty, let's go with there with your with the folks who work with you, your your on-floor on personnel, whatever. 
the folks who work in a few cool hardware, whatever the whatever the locale is, uh, do they think of themselves as a few coolers, or are they acers, or kind of both? How do you maintain that that sort of uh, alignment and affiliation? I love this question because uh, my new associates also don't understand the cooperative model and how it works, and so we have a lot of education that revolves around that. I think they, I think that. At its core, most of my teammates think of themselves as a member of the store they work in. So if they work in the Logan Circle location, they think of themselves as a Logan Hardware teammate. If they work in Waverly in Baltimore, for example, I am a member of the Waverly Ace um, hardware store. Got it. And then as we start to bubble that up, they become a member of the larger chain, which is a few cool hardware stores, and then on up to Ace. And yeah. So it, it almost depends on who they're talking to. If you come in and you talk to one of my teammates and you see Ace on their button, for example, or their their vest, and that resonates with you, the savvy teammate is going to know that that's, that's the way they should talk to you. Right. That that's what's resonating with you as a neighbor. You started with one. Mm-hmm. How many stores today? Uh, Twelve. Twelve, and yes. you said how many in Baltimore, my hometown? Three. Yeah. Yes. And any south south of DC? Uh, so we have Alexandria, Virginia, in yep. Old Town. Yeah. So we've over the years we've had fourteen. We've purchased four. Alexandria, Virginia was one of them, and we've built ten from scratch. Wow. And then if you do the math, we closed two that weren't successful. So, yeah. Yeah. There you go. I was doing the math in yeah. my head. <laughs> so the four you purchased, um, how did you find them? And if I may just sort of drill down, yeah. Was it important to have alignment of the owner and your overall goals and the way you've structured your business, you as a founder and all that? Or did you just like, let's just do a transaction and get a location? Or maybe somewhere in between. Yeah, I think I like the alignment when it happened. But, I mean, if you've done anything in the mergers and acquisitions field, you know that. I have. I I always think it's going to be super smooth. Yeah. Everyone's going to love us. The the culture at both organizations are the exact same. Yeah. Every darn time. I mean, I cannot, my, my, I can hear my husband laughing at me. You're so optimistic. It's going to be perfect. Yeah. Uh, we purchased Frager's hardware on Capitol Hill yep. in 2015. Frager's, uh, at the time that we purchased it, was 97 years old. It's 102 now, if I just did those numbers correctly. Sounds right. You cannot buy a 96 year old institution without there being experience. And I'm yeah. not using the word baggage. Without yeah. there being legacy yep. that you have to figure out how to nurture. And, you know, one of the things that I, uh, I had to grapple with when I was writing the book was how how do I hold on to this legacy and then bring it into the 21st century? Wow. Yeah. Well, we're going to get to your book, Recovery Hardware. Uh, we're, once again, we're talking with Gina Schaefer here on What's Working in Washington, CEO and founder of a few, go- few cool hardware stores, which hopefully all of our listeners have been to. If not, get your darn buns out there and go to a, a store near you from a few cool hardware stores. But when we come back, I'd love to talk to you about the book, your, your journey, your story, and how it's aligned with your employees, your suppliers, and the readers. We'll have that conversation and much more after we come back. Every week on What's Working in Washington, we talk to power players about innovation in the federal government and how business in the region is keeping us competitive. If you are a D.C. insider and want to know what leaders in other industries are talking about, we give you that insight. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, let us know. We want perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. You can reach out through our website or through Twitter. We look forward to hearing from you. It's What's Working in Washington, and we're so excited to be back with our guest, Gina Schaefer. She's the CEO and founder of a chain of, reco- a chain of hardware stores, rather, a few cool hardware stores, Often with local names, so if you're near one, you may identify it as an Ace store, as a Waverly store in the Baltimore area, for instance, with locations, but we're excited to talk about the chain. But right now, 
Gina. We're excited to talk about your book, Recovery Hardware. Tell us what was the aha moment that made you sit down and put pen to paper? I was actually driving back from Baltimore. My husband was driving. I was in the back seat. One of my teammates, there are two aha moments, but this one was really impactful. One of my teammates, uh, was. we were telling the story of someone on our team who was from a, a drug recovery program. And the, the teammate turned around and he said, that's a story you have to tell. If we're not talking about it, who is? And I felt like he gave me permission to start talking about these stories. Now, if you, if you prior to that, um, go back a couple years, another one of my employees who's worked with me for 19 years now came to me and he said, people in Logan Circle call our hardware store recovery hardware. Mm-hmm. I had never heard that. We had been in business probably 12 years by that point. We are very near the Whitman Walker Drug Addiction Services Program. Yeah. A lot of my first teammates came from that program. And there was a, 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 a this fondness that grew in the that community about the hardware store enough to call us recovery hardware. And so it was a pretty, pretty proud moment. So it's a loaded word um, in, a, in a lot of good ways. And what about the book have you found surprising in people's response to it? it has it been inspirational to some? Has it been a cautionary tale for others? Have, did you include some of the bumps and, 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 and dips that may come from employing folks who come out of a recovery section, all yeah. of the above? Yeah, all of the above, everything. I, I, my editor at some point wrote me a note, and she said, if I were a school teacher, you'd get a big red F. She said, you're only talking about the good parts. Oh, come let's on. Talk okay. about, let's, talk about the, let's talk about how you felt. Let's talk about times where you might have cried or where things were stressful or where somebody did something wrong. And the interesting part about that is that opened up the opportunity to talk about anybody doing anything wrong. Mm-hmm. So the first employee who stole from me uh, was a middle-aged or a middle-class kid from the Midwest whose family owned a small business. Wow. And he was the first employee that we caught stealing from us. He didn't have a drug pass. He hadn't been in prison. He had a college education. He was articulate. And when the, I had that experience, it occurred to me that if someone like that could, could do harm, I was not going to hold it against someone who actually – on paper, already had done harm. Yeah. You know, one of the chapters is don't judge everyone by the best or worst thing they ever did. And so that sort of all became the mashup when we started employing people. So as an employer of a, to your last point, a wide variety of backgrounds and people and, and, and opportunities and capacities and futures, uh, it seems like you've taken a lot of steps to include them into the wealth creation and the economics of what you're doing. Talk about that structure. Yeah. So, you know, when I started my business, I was 31, I guess. And people immediately started saying, what's your succession plan? Well, I don't know about you, but I mean, retirement at 31 was so far. And plus, I had taken on this huge loan to start this business. And so <laughs> that'll, that'll stop retirement. Yeah, yeah. I was going to work for a long time. My first rent was like $14,000 a month, which was enough to give me heartburn. And yeah, and uh, I internalized that and started over the years thinking about how this was going to how I was going to succeed, how we how my husband and I were going to we're going to have our exit because we don't have children. And oftentimes in small family owned businesses, the family is who takes over. Right. So we didn't have that as an option. And so as we grew, as we got bigger, we, you know, we went, there was a period where we opened one store a year for 10 years. There's 260 of us now. So I felt like there was a lot of responsibility. And we got to the point, it was around 2019, early 2019, where we said, of course, not knowing the pandemic was coming, we might want to figure out what we want this to look like in the future. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, we want to think about how that future might include all of our employees as co-owners. And we started researching all of the options, uh, um, venture capital purchase, sale to a private investor, sale to one of our teammates, and then this concept of an employee stock ownership 
program, an ESOP. And that's ultimately what we decided on. Uh, and then, you know, fast forward, we lived in Logan Circle during a lot of the protests during the times of COVID and, mm-hmm. and the last administration. And so it was very important for us to try and do something that included the community and our team in future wealth building and generational growth in, in part of the economy that they so, weren't. So many of our listeners might not know ESOP, the, 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 the lingo and stuff. You are literally give, or you are literally handing over ownership of your company in a structured way to your employees, correct? Correct. And do they have to buy it from you, or is it sort of an option that is granted them invested, or what? what's the structure? Everyone, so it acts a lot and looks a lot like a, a, a qualified retirement plan. So if you Got had it. a 401k in the past, you yep. get a statement that looks like your 401k statement. The business buys out the original founders on behalf of the employees. It becomes a trust yeah. for the employees, essentially. It's very regulated by the Department of Labor. We had to hire a consultant. We had to hire a trustee for the ESOP. I'm shocked. Both of those people had to have attorneys. I think my dog had to have an attorney in this of process, of course. Yeah. Um, and then it goes to the Department of Labor. So everyone can say that this is the legitimate, proper valuation of this company. Mm-hmm. And so that's how the company was valued. That's how Mark and I get paid. Yeah. And then every year on the anniversary, there's a new evaluation and that the, the um, shares based on your salary are put into that bucket yeah. for the employees and it vests 20% a year for five years. 20%. Yes. So uh, to your point on, on lawyers, uh, this <laughs> the ESOP, in my opinion, should be more popular. Yes. Particularly for small businesses that are owned by, in, in, in the case of you, you and your husband, with the ability or the desire to hand off uh, the economic benefit of the of the, of the, the labor, as they say. Um, what's been your experience of how hard it was versus if it was easier, do you think more people would do it? Or where, where are you on that bell curve? I think, uh, well, first of all, it was hard. I'm not going to lie. And my husband's yeah. our CFO. And so he would probably say it's a lot harder than I, I would because it's also not cheap. However, interesting. If I feel like from a cultural perspective, and I don't want a legacy per se, but I did not want the business to go away. I mentioned earlier that one of my stores is now 102. Logan Circle, which was the original baby, yeah. is going to be 20 in March. Wow. So those those were big deals. Those neighborhood, our neighbors count on those, those local stores uh, to service their hardware needs. And so I wanted to make sure that that was staying. And to me, keeping that culture alive would only happen if the employees owned it. So I don't mean to be intrusive or rude, but each year, has there been some growth in your valuation? Yeah, so we just had our first one. So, oh, okay, uh, great. So J- July of 2022 was the first valuation. It was Mazel tov. Fantastic, yeah. thank you. Um, everybody automatically becomes an owner after one year of service and 1,000 hours, unless you're under 18. We have a lot of uh, students that cycle in and out. And so... Um, that's that's how you become a member. So they just our team just got its first valuation. Wow. Yeah. Well, Recovery Hardware, the book, obviously must have some stories about folks who recovered. Yes. And may perhaps because of the efforts of you and your and your husband and the store and their experience there. Do you have a couple that sort of pop up that you might give us a, a precy of be, before we buy the book? Yeah, of course. So, I, I mean, and we take no credit for it. That We provided the jobs. There that's, you go. That's the credit that we get. I think, you know, my fr- probably our very first teammate uh, was a gentleman named, Tom, named Tommy who had been in prison for 17 years. Wow. And in 2003, I did not know or I, I, I did not believe that having the felony box on an application was appropriate. And so we banned that before it was a legal requirement to ban the Fascinating. box. So when Tommy applied, I did not know he had been in prison for 17 years. And within two days of him starting to work with us, I did not care that he had ever been in prison. Mm-hmm. But what it taught me, another lesson from that 
point on, one, you can learn something from everyone. Everyone can be helpful. I think I think of hardware stores as um, people, people place and product. You know, we have the hardware. Um, we're in Logan Circle. And then what are the people? And some mm-hmm. of those people also need a place. And mm-hmm. that we became Tommy's place. And so for me, that was really impactful. And then one of our other, in fact, the reason we went to Baltimore, one of our teammates also in recovery wanted to move to Baltimore. And he said, what if I move to Baltimore and I help you open a store there? And he did. And uh, his chapter in the book is, is about sailing because he's a sailor and he realized that he could adjust his sails and go somewhere else. He didn't need to be stagnant. People are hard, you know, reticent to change. And he had had some pretty challenging things happen in his past and he was willing to change. Wow. Those are, that's a yeah. motivational couple right there. Thanks. So um, if you had to guess, and this is an unfair question, of the 260 folks, how many in your opinion have had challenges in their background? I know at one point I could count in one store and about 30% were in Got some it. form of recovery, yeah, but we yeah. don't keep track. Got people it. like to say, how many people, oh, how many people have you had to fire because they were in recovery? But they also, they don't say how many people have you had to fire who weren't in recovery. Yeah. And I think those, so we don't, we don't actually keep track. Tell us the name of the book again and how we can get it. So it's called Recovery Hardware. Very easy to remember. I think it's a nuts and bolts story about building a business, restoring a community and renovating lives. And I hope that everyone who buys it, and I would love for everyone to buy it, buys it from a local bookstore. Whether it's in the bookstore or not, you can ask the bookstore, your local bookstore, to order it from you. Yes. Well, there's probably some local bookstores in Logan Circle that are, maybe have recovered. Yes or no? Uh, they, we don't have a bookstore yet in Logan Circle, but very close. We're working there, on There it. are some that are very close. Yeah. Yes. So Gina Schaefer, founder and CEO of a few cool hardware stores, one near you, and author of Recovery Hardware. We ask our guests at the end of What's Working in Washington – if you ruled the world for some period of time and were in charge of everything, what's one thing you would start happening or encourage happening more? Or what's one thing you might stop happening and ban forever? When I was growing up, I had a poster on my bedroom wall. And on the poster, it said, I was born, I was born an original. I won't die a copy. So if you close your eyes, Mark, and you think about a place that you've been that was not full of chains, that wasn't carbon copied, that was unique, I bet it's a special place for you. You can probably smell it and your senses come alive. Maybe you can taste something that you ate there or whatever. And what I would love to see for all the neighborhoods in Washington and, and just across the United States is people remembering that that Main Street is important and that importance drills down to people supporting their local businesses. And so, um, you know, keeping it alive with the dollars that you spend and that allows us as local business owners to hire local people and pay more so that people can afford to live in the cities. And it's very, um, you know, it builds. It's a it's a building process. And so that's what I would like to see more of. I would like more main streets, more community involvement, more local businesses being supported by residents. So I used to work at the Small Business Administration. Oh, and yeah. we should we should have that carved into the wall of our office down uh, our headquarters down in Washington, D.C., because I completely agree. Small business is literally the backbone of America, both in number of employees and value of those employees to their uh, their households and their and their families and their lives. So, Gina Shaver, congratulations on the book. Congratulations on your success as a business person with a chain. And you are a perfect example of what's working in Washington. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. The team behind What's Working in Washington is a great group. The executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Online content Anna DeGraff. And that theme music you enjoy, performed by the Sunbathers. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.